0: Breaking Bread with Brilliant Babes. I'm your host, Tatiana Jimenez. We're recording today in my tiny studio apartment in sunny San Francisco. Today I'm joined by Christy Tacey. Hi, Christy. Hey. (laughs) Thanks so much for crossing the bridge to be on the show. No problem. (laughs) For any first time listeners out there, our purpose here is to shed some light on everyday people doing brilliant things. I invite them into my home, cook a meal, and then we eat together and chat about their careers and how they got where they are today. Today, as you'll learn more about in just a few moments, Christy is a winemaker and owner of Tessier Wines. She brought over her Femme Fatale Rosé, so I've made a couple of toasts to pair with the wines today, one with goat cheese with fig spread and walnuts, and the other with whipped ricotta and roasted strawberries. So let's get down to it. Christy, can you share a little about what you do currently and your career history up until this point?
1: Sure. I'm owner and winemaker at Tessier, which means I make the wine, I sell the wine, I do the website, I do social media, I do accounting, I run the wine club. It's basically a (laughs) one-woman show. (laughs) Um, I started off my career as a research scientist. Uh, I have a degree in microbiology, and that's why I moved to California. I originated in Michigan. I did that for 10 years, but I felt unfulfilled, I guess, and I was sort of thinking, what can I do my degree, and what do I want to do next for my career? When I first moved out here, my cousin was in the wine business, and he had taken me wine tasting up in Sonoma, and I thought it was so lovely just you know California Northern California is so beautiful and then thinking about the vines growing and harvesting for that one year you know I was really into botany and it sort of like filled that niche and then also bringing the grapes into the cellar and the aspect of the physical hard work to make the wine and then chemistry in the lab and understanding all of the chemistry behind the scenes. Using your senses to taste the wines and describe the wines and then finally um, sharing the wines with friends and family and, and new people with food. Mm-hmm. So it sort of all came together and I thought that could be really great. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking of the career change and a job had opened up in Oakland at Lost Canyon Winery. They wanted an operations manager, assistant winemaker. So I applied and ended up getting the job and I switched careers.
0: Wow. Yeah. (laughs) So how did you, when you applied for that job, like how do you explain your relevant experience? You were in a lab before, right? And then you're switching over to working customer service.
1: Yeah. I mean, I did do a little customer service in the past. I've had 24 different jobs which actually helped (laughs) me think about like what I did like about every job or what I didn't like but I yeah for like a credit card company and I was trained in customer service on how to deal with different situations it was a secured credit card so you had to deal with a lot of weird situations and some mean people (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. so I talked to them you know just that I had a passion for wine Uh, at that time I was reading a lot of Pinot Noir journals, I was really into Pinot Noir and cool. you know, followed a couple winemakers that I that I really liked. I you know, I had a starting develop a wine collection, so you know, I was starting to obsess about it, so I just presented that and
0: yeah. said, I said, like Give me
1: a chance, please, you Yeah, know? <laughs> I feel
0: like that kind of passion is really palpable too and sometimes that goes a lot farther than just relevant experience. Like if yeah. you're really into field that makes the people who are hiring feel more reinvigorated about their own job I think yeah yeah I I think that that was what
1: they saw in me like mm -hmm. oh she's really excited about this it's great yeah That's and cool. yeah, so I got the job. But you know, they were like, you lift forty pounds, you know? Do you are you gonna wanna do this? And I'm like, I will. I'll do anything. I'll do it <laughs> And we'll go to CrossFit.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. to do this.
1: I'm already in training. Yeah. It's cool. <laughs> I got
0: this. <laughs> so that was in you said that was in Oakland?
1: Yeah, in Oakland Lost Canyon Winery. So I did that in 2006. Mm -hmm. And so I ran their winery because they had day jobs. So I was there all the time. And then I started learning the craft of winemaking. And at that time, I started taking classes at Davis. And I ended up getting my certificate in winemaking from Davis as well. They, I loved it. I loved, I was never bored. There were always different things to do. And and I ended up setting up their lab so we could do internal testing. Because, you know, that's sort of what my background was so I could just apply it to wine and scale it up for them. And they were great guys. They came from the education world, so they were really positive. It was nice to work with them that Mm -hmm. they were like, you're so smart, you're doing such a good job. Like that that really helped a lot. I didn't really have that in my science career. Mm -hmm. So they sold the winery after three years. And I was so sad that I found this job that I that I was really good at and that I liked. And, um, you know, I didn't want to go back to being a scientist. Mm-hmm. So I thought about, like, well, what about if I started my own brand? Because with them, I, I did every facet of their business, and I had connections to get fruit. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, that's, like, a big part to get started. For one, you need, like, the best fruit to make the best wine. So they introduced me to Sara Lee Kundi And she agreed to sell me two tons of fruit. And so in 2009, I launched my own brand and made six barrels of Pinot Noir from Russian River Valley.
0: Cool. Yeah. So just the one, the one type. I just did the one wine, yeah, yeah,
1: just Pinot Noir. Mm -hmm. Because that was my obsession. Mm -hmm. And Lost Canyon did Pinot Noir, Syrah, and Viognier, but all vineyard designate
0: wines. What does that mean?
1: So it's just all they're not blends they're just all from a place so Sara Lee's Mm. Vineyard and Trenton Station Vineyard and and that's that's my style as well like all my wines except this Femme Fatale Rosé this is a blend but all the other Mm. ones are vineyard designate so I really want people to have a sense of place when they drink
0: the wines. Mm -hmm. So you've been in business on your own since 2009 Uh then it sounds like okay. Cool. And it also sounds like you're doing more than just a Pinot Noir. Yeah. (laughs) So So I I started small, just Uh with
1: Pinot Noir for the first couple years. Uh And I sort of stayed at 200 cases. Uh, In 2011, I started to do Grenache. And that was Mm -hmm. after I went to France in the Southern Rhone. And I met with other winemakers there. And they had a lot of Grenache that weren't in blends. And I I thought it was very Pinot Noir-like. And when I came back to California, then I became obsessed with it and drank a lot of California Grenache and thought about where would the best place be to get fruit, you know, to make to make the wine that I wanted to make. And so then I ended up meeting Ron Mansfield in El Dorado, and that's where I got the Grenache from in 2011. And now, in 2016, I got Maved and Gamay Noir, so I,
0: I really like working with him and... Mm-hmm grapefruit up there. Cool. When was the moment you felt that you broke into your role or perhaps just like the wine industry?
1: I think that was, was after I had the release party of my very first vintage. So I released the 200 cases and I did a party at Stage Stageloft Cellars in Oakland. So that was the old Lost Canyon space. So it was oh, okay. neat to be there and Had tons of friends and family that came out. And shortly after that, like, I sold out of the 200 cases. Whoa. So it was just so nice to be working so hard for, you know, a whole year on this wine and then having people be excited about it and to actually try Mm -hmm. it and then pair it with food. And, you know, it it pushed me on to do it again. (laughs) Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm. That's really great. And then I guess just for, like, perspective or for reference... So you say that you you in the beginning were doing 200 cases. So what does maybe like a standard winery do every year? Just Yeah, this is comparison? like a micro winery. <laughs> yeah. um,
1: I mean, I don't I don't know like how mm-hmm. big Behringer is. Like we should look that up to see what it oh. is. Yeah, that's like are. a isn't
0: that like that's like a monster winery. It's yeah. like huge. I mean,
1: Lost Canyon did 3500 cases. Oh, okay. Um, okay. So just by comparison, but they were like a small winery mm-hmm. as well.
0: Yeah, so you would be in the beginning like you were like super super boutique. Yes, yeah. yeah. I don't know the, the terminology that you guys use. Yeah, in the wine I mean, world,
1: I still call myself a micro winery just because. Uh-huh. Well, now I'm up to a thousand cases.
0: Okay, okay. So it's like still smaller than Lost Canyon yeah. when they were around. When they were around. Gotcha. Cool. So your your breakout moment was having that release party selling out for like was that the first time you sold out? Your, mm-hmm. Okay. And then, well, I mean, not
1: the first time I sold out, okay. but just that you know, you're working on this wine, you don't know if people are going to like it. Mm-hmm. Like, is this the right thing to do? And and just the the positive reinforcement of it
0: mm-hmm.
1: that that was, you know, I'm doing something right.
0: Yeah, yeah, you made the right and decision, it's, and it's
1: so hard too. Like thinking about it, like getting it all together to be bottled. Like you got to have the corks right, you got to get your labels right, you got to have your bottles right, mm-hmm. and then you have to have all these people there to make it all happen so it's just so much work and planning and you feel like Mm -hmm. it's never going to happen and you're so nervous about it Mm -hmm. and then that you finally got to that moment that you're opening the bottle and sharing it with people and Mm -hmm. people are like this is great i want to buy it you know
0: yeah (laughs) it was really rewarding like i'm a big fan of project runway i feel like they're you know they work all season Mm -hmm. for this runway show that's like two minutes long right (laughs) and it's like everything comes down to those two minutes So in this time, you know, growing your business, did you have a mentor and it could be like in the wine industry or maybe it was from your, your research background. And then now that you've kind of been in the industry for like a decade almost, are you, do you see yourself as maybe helping out other new winemakers?
1: Yeah, definitely. My cousin was a mentor, Just, he had his own label as well, so, you know, I talked to him a lot about it. I was unhappy with my work being a scientist, and he encouraged me to make wine and start my own brand. When Lost Canyon sold, I also reached out to Ed Kurtzman, who was really known in the Pinot Noir industry, to sort of, any any issues I'd have, um, any weird things that were going on with the wine, I would email him and he was always happy to meet me and talk about it and so that was really nice supportive and then mary edwards was a was someone i just read about for for so long i mean when i was a scientist because she started up her career as a scientist so i had emailed her and you know she was really nice i never ended up meeting her but we corresponded a little bit but you know just sort of ruled myself after her she, she's highly respected in her industry and I, I like admired her tenacity and style mm-hmm. and then as far as now yeah being in the industry for 10 or 11 years I know how hard it is and I always want to help out young winemakers and and it, it's the nice thing in the wine industry it's not competitive you know there's no patents pending like stuff you can't mm. talk about you You can tell people your technique because even if someone did the exact same technique on the wines like it it wouldn't turn out the same so there's no right. threat in that mm-hmm. and it's such a a hard profession I mean physically hard emotionally hard working on the wines that it's a respect and and you know you're just willing to open up about it, mm-hmm. which is really nice and definitely I always am looking out for female winemakers I know that it's hard being a woman in a male-dominated field as well, so yeah, I'm always there to support and look out for them and answer any questions and, you know, do what I can do to help. Cool. I, I want to get back always.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And then I know you were mentioning earlier today that you're a part, like, you do, I, and just, like, watching you on Instagram, you do a lot of wine events that seem women-focused. I don't know if they're intended to be that way or they just, like, end up being <laughs> just, like, lots of ladies drinking yeah. wine, <laughs> yeah, which is cool. So do you do, like, a lot of events with other, like, female winemakers?
1: I haven't that much, but I'm, I am, mm-hmm. there's some stuff in the works, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems right now it's, it's gaining momentum, being a woman winemaker, and just, like, women in business in general, mm-hmm. which is, you know, awesome. Yeah. I've, I've been in business for 10 years, and it, that's, that's great, like, mm-hmm. i I, I like being supported by other women and like being excited about what I do. So Mm
0: -hmm. that was all very positive. Now I like to (laughs) ask my guests, what was your biggest career obstacle so far slash shittiest moment? (laughs) I can think of one big one.
1: I always hated bottling because it's just so stressful. You know, you've worked on this wine for the whole year and it comes down to this moment of getting it into the bottle. You know, it's so, you're so vulnerable, the wine's vulnerable, it's in a tank, and usually we have, like, a giant bottling truck that goes really fast. Like, you need a lot of people, and it's just super quick, and my lots are pretty small, you know, because I'm a micro winery. We had my two Pinot Noirs on the line, and we had switched corks, and the guy on the line told me, you know, we're having problems getting your corks in the bottle. And I'm like, well, it's just, it's a different brand of cork. Like just crank up the machine a little bit. I'm sure it's fine. Because I just didn't imagine like what problems could be happening. So we do that. And, you know, meanwhile, the wine's going in and everybody's working on bottling it. And the guy comes back out and he's like, no, really, like, look how hard it is to get the cork out. And it's like ridiculously hard. So I, I phone the cork producer and I'm like, oh my God, like, I'm bottling right now, and the corks are really hard to get out. I don't understand. We have to turn the pressure up really hard to even get the cork in. And they're like, well, stop the bottling line. And I'm like, what? <laughs> oh, no. Uh, so the t- the two lots of Pinot Noir were already bottled, but what had happened was those corks weren't coated,
0: mm-hmm. which I didn't
1: even think could happen, but mm-hmm. it did. So we we had to put the wines aside. You know, I was bottling in August, and then harvest was was set to happen, you know, the grapes ripened in September, so I didn't have that moment of, Oh, I bottled everything so awesome. I'm like so excited about the next harvest. It was just a state of like, Oh my god, I have to rebottle all of this and mm-hmm. it was Pinot Noir which is like really sensitive and what we ended up having to do is um push the corks in and dump it back into a tank and then rebottle it.
0: Oh my god It was crazy. So were you able to use those bottles again?
1: We had to get everything new. Oh, my And, gosh. like, the cork company was very apologetic and supportive. Mm-hmm. You know, stuff does happen. But it was such a stressful, like, heartbreaking moment. And on top yeah. of it, it was, like, my, you know, my birthday is in September. <laughs> so I was just, like, so tense on that yeah. birthday. And, oh. like, it's it sucked.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then also as, like, an independent business owner, you're probably also think, you know, I've just paid a day's worth of labor wages to like right. all these people yeah. to help me and right. now we have to do it again and I Have so to do it again i know really expensive yeah so. and then just to
1: yeah, i'm such a small producer what if the wine isn't as good quality you know by
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know compromising that bottle like opening it up and pouring it back out
0: yeah yeah
1: but I mean, I, I tasted the wines you know after we did that, and you know we, we ran a bunch of lab numbers and I, I felt like it was still a quality product, but oh my God, so stressful. Yeah. So <laughs> I bet hopefully nothing like that ever happens again. But you know, I dealt with it and you know persevered and now I look back on it and sort of chuckle. but
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. hopefully you had a fun birthday after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all the other verses, yeah, like, <laughs> they're, they're better, way better than that. <laughs> Yeah. So all of that being said, what has been your biggest opportunity slash best moment so far?
1: You know, it's, it's so so nice. Like I feel like I'm respected by my peers and respected in the industry. When I placed my Kevronk at Slanted Door, I felt oh like, wow, this is such an accomplishment. You That's know, right. like, which it's I so own cool. by the way, because I loved <laughs> it so much when I tried it when I first met you. <laughs> That's awesome. It's and so and good. now um I just came out with a Riesling and they just put the Riesling by the glass. It's Lena's. Mm. So I'm so excited. I mean, so many great restaurants in San Francisco, like Michelin stars. Uh, it's it's amazing. Um Yeah,
0: so how do you do that? Do you because you're kind of a one-woman show, which you've described, when it comes to like going to restaurants and developing those relationships. You're your own salesperson yeah, too, right? Yeah. So do you visit I mean, I did just sign
1: with a broker, but okay. how I approached it, I, I have a lot of friends in all different kinds of places. So mm-hmm. I, I'm always kind of working those relationships, and I had a friend that was working at Salenador that introduced me to the wine buyer. Oh, And nice. then she really liked the wines, and, mm-hmm. um, and now we've been working together ever since, so all, all of that stuff matters.
0: Do you ever just, like, go to a restaurant? I'm thinking of, I, I recently went to Absinthe, which oh. is, like, near all of the theaters and stuff, and our, our waiter was the sommelier of the restaurant. I don't know if it was, like, a slow day, or that's how they do it. But he, it was so much fun, and we got to ask him just, like, a bunch of questions about the wines and stuff, and I could tell that he was having fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even though some of my questions were probably kind of lame. No, but, I got it. But well, we he... We all like to talk more. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but do you ever just, like, go to a restaurant and try to network that way? Oh, like, for sure. Okay.
1: For sure. Okay. Um, you know, you go, like, during the week, and then usually the psalm will be working then and mm-hmm. tell them your story or...
0: Yeah.
1: Say, Hey, would you be interested in tasting the wines and try to follow up that way. Yeah. Do you have cool.
0: them in your purse?
1: I don't I mean <laughs> if I was out pouring that day, like uh-huh. maybe I'd have them and be like, Do you want to try them right
0: now? Yeah.
1: But um yeah, you try that. to keep it you try to be discreet and yeah. like
0: try to read people and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. See if they're into it, if they're yeah. not into
1: it. Right. I'll
0: just save that
1: for don't later. be too pushy, right? Yeah. Just casual. That yeah. gets you pretty far. Mm-hmm.
0: I also like to highlight what I call hidden talents, so things that are significant to our lives that we might not add to our resumes or are necessarily work related. So I know you had mentioned that you're really into music. And do you want to talk about like what you're working on with music and wine? Yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) I've been into music for a long time. I try to see live shows as much as possible. But now I'm trying to bring the two worlds together. So with the wine club, I have the my wine club is called the research club. And I do three shipments a year uh, two bottles each time or two different wines each time four bottles and I've been trying to pick a song that the wine makes me feel like so it's sort of a suggested pairing mm-hmm. for the wines and I've, I'm starting to uh, accumulate a couple of them and I will put it up on the website soon but the Femme Fatale Rosé I mean the Femme Fatale is named after a Velvet Underground song so on the mm-hmm. back label it has the lyrics uh, to the Femme Fatale song. Um, but this time I paired it with um, a song from uh, the Virgin Suicides soundtrack uh, that I love, that I, I feel like the wine signifies. Mm-hmm. So, so it's from the Virgin Suicides, <laughs> Air, Playground Loves, the song mm-hmm. that's pairing with the Femme Fatale Rosé, and then awesome. the, the 2016 Severia Vineyard from Santa Cruz Mountains. That one I'm pairing with um, The Cure, the perfect girl from kiss me kiss me kiss me Mm. which I love that song but I really feel like that wine is I don't know it makes me feel like that song so like just trust me this is this is what this Uh this wine feels like I I don't I I haven't really gotten feedback of people Mm -hmm. trying it yet so maybe it hasn't really caught on Mm -hmm. but um I'm hoping it will
0: cool (laughs) that's great so I guess we could move into our listener question portion of okay. the, the show. Yeah. So the first question I have, so you mentioned that you worked as a, a lab researcher, and I know that you worked on the Human Genome Project. So this uh, question is about that. So were you working on the Human Genome Project up until the end when it was like finally mapped and completed?
1: Yes, I was. Um, I worked for uh, Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory, but then it was all for a special project with uh, the Department of Energy. And we, they created this production facility out in Walnut Creek. So it was a high throughput facility that, that we just cranked out data so we could get a draft of the, the human genome that, that came out in Science Magazine. And That's... like my name is in there on the article. So it was so cool.
0: Yeah, that's a big deal. It's a huge deal. Yeah. Good for
1: you. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> so I felt like I, I accomplished something in yeah. my science career that I, um, you know, I could move on. And, and later I worked mm-hmm. um, for Solera Diagnostics on Central Nervous System Diseases. And so we worked hmm. on Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease and Fragile X syndrome. And we also released papers that I had my name on there as well. So
0: Very cool. Yeah. I also used to work in Alzheimer's disease research. Oh, cool. But like as a research assistant, (laughs) like, low-level clinical trials, like, I helped type up the, like, the protocol documents to get approved.
1: I worked with human brain tissue.
0: (laughs) I saw it. I had to transport it sometimes. That was, like, one of my duties, like, in, like, the little igloo. Uh Yeah, it was gross, but really cool. (laughs) They're just, like, tiny pieces, Mm but yeah. Oh, yeah. No, we had, like, entire like brains <laughs> and like and they're it's like a gray color
1: yeah it's it sort of looks like mm. chicken kind
0: of, yeah like liver or something even though it's a brain and it looks like, a, like yeah, brain, but that was fun <laughs> so the next listener question I have is do you make wine that you like to drink or do you consider what sells on the market
1: <laughs> yeah I've thought about this one frequently um for sure I'm making it you know, for something that I'm gonna drink because if I can't sell the wine I'm gonna be the one that's stuck with it and so I better enjoy drinking it. So I I I'm I'm inspired by European European wines and I mean that that's sort of the style that I'm I'm going for, but but yes, that's that's what I like to drink, and that's what I'm making. So.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you have you noticed though that like some varietals, I guess, sell better than others?
1: Yeah, I mean, Pinot Noir. It got saturated. The market was saturated with Pinot Noir, so I sort of changed my focus. I didn't mm-hmm. want to because I love Pinot Noir so much, but. Yeah. Then it pushed me out of the box to try all these different varietals that I was interested in. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I did a Gamay Noir this year, which I was really inspired by from the Beaujolais region. And um, then the Mavéd I did, which I'm crazy about, Camp Franc. That, you know, I'm, I'm just so surprised by the feedback of that, that people were so excited about it. So... I'm glad that I pushed myself outside of the box to try all these different varietals. Mm -hmm. Really, like, grown as a winemaker.
0: Yeah, and I think it's cool, too, just, like, as a wine drinker. (laughs) Like, as a, a, like, kind of, like, a noob wine nerd. I think it's because you see a lot of the same stuff in the Bay Area. I mean, we're really lucky. We have so many, like, great wineries around. But yeah, you do see a lot of kind of like the same kinds of wine, like the um, the cabs and the zinfandels and the chardonnays and stuff. So it's really exciting to try something new, like yeah. the cabronc, right? That you have
1: right or on its own, like mm-hmm. it's usually in a blend. Grenache on its own, yeah. it's usually in a blend.
0: Yeah, so I'm like, I'm getting used to, you know, I've I've over time, I know what a chardonnay tastes like, I know what a zinfandel tastes mm-hmm. like, and so yeah, it's it's fun to to taste new things. Like the other day, my friend Marissa and I my wine friend, uh, we were at 20 Spot in the oh, Mission, yeah. oh. which is great. And I love they had, this spot. They had a wine, I forgot what it's called. I think it was called like something like Land, Land Blend or something. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so good. And it was very earthy and grassy. I'm like, I, who knew I would like this? Yeah, so, I know. You always have to try new things. Experiment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think over time, too, not to make a cheesy analogy, but, you know, Costco, for example... They, they're very picky about the things that they buy. And mm-hmm. over time, you you have your specific palette and you're making all these wines. And over time, people trust that you right. are going to make something that's right. like good quality. That's so what I'm like, hoping for, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> that's great. The next listener question we have is, what surprised you the most about just working on your own? There's
1: so many so many aspects of this business and I think it really helps that I have like an average amount of skills across the board. I feel like I'm sort of like a renaissance woman that I can tackle it and and do everything, you know, pretty okay. So that's, mm. that's awesome and, and like I don't like to be bored and I'm adventurous so all this sort of feeds into my personality. But I think the hardest thing is building in time to relax and not talk about your business and think about your business like just to to chill out and read and that's so why I do a lot of yoga just to try to oh, not work good. for yeah. a little bit mm-hmm. so I'm always I'm always working on that to get better
0: yeah that's good because yeah you're forcing balance. yourself to not think about things yes yeah. <laughs> right I love that <laughs> so the last listener question that I have is if you weren't working in wine what other types of work would you pursue or be interested in Um, I mean I'm definitely
1: interested in the cannabis industry I think it's very similar to wine Uh, and there's a lot of opportunity right now so Mm -hmm. I've thought about that I mean just all the different flowers the the different aromas it's fun to smell all the different ones and sort of come up with tasting notes on that and then the different effects that that it gives you that's intriguing
0: yeah because I've heard similarities between like Wine and beer, mm-hmm. or yeah, or like wine and coffee, mm-hmm. but yeah, not so much the cannabis mm-hmm. stuff. Like, yeah. and that would be fun to like pair food with, <laughs> with I, the, different kinds of weed. There I are guess. a lot of <laughs> yeah,
1: there are a lot of things happening like that. Uh-huh. I mean, it just became legal in, mm-hmm. in January, so lots of new events are sort of coming out. But it's just the yeah. licensing seems to be sort of bananas right now, mm-hmm. and everybody's sort of a scramble and trying to figure it out, but. Mm-hmm. But I'm intrigued. I like it.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I guess to to close out the show, what are you looking forward to this week? I'm. I have my wine club shipment going out on
1: Monday. It's the second one of the year. Okay. And then I'm heading to San Diego on Tuesday for three events. Um, wow. Winemaker dinner um, and yeah, two other events at stores. So that'll be cool. And then I have some other upcoming events as well that I, I will have up on the website.
0: So um, is there anything you would like to plug? Obviously, we've talked about your wine a lot. So there are, I'm assuming, lots of wine things happening soon. <laughs>
1: yeah, I have a lot of great events coming up. I'll be in L.A. in, in May doing something at Everson Royce. Like a, a tasting. I'm not sure how many wines you're going to do, but from 5 to 9. You can come meet me and hang out. And then Vinivore is female-owned wine shop in LA. Cool. i doing an event with them on May 21st. We haven't hashed out the time yet, but I'll okay. get it up on the website. And then the Jug Shop in San Francisco, May 25th, 5.30 to 7.30. I'll be there pouring. And then um, also in the East Bay at Wine on Piedmont in Oakland, April 27th, which is a Friday, I'll be doing... Uh, tasting there from five
0: to seven. Awesome. And then where can people buy your wine? It sounds like you're in like a couple stores in the Bay Area, also Los Angeles, but I assume you sell it on your website. Yeah. Yeah. You can check
1: out my website, uh, tessierwinery.com. And then if you also look on there under find us, I have a list of all of the the restaurants in California that, that carry Tessier. So um, you can check it out there
0: sweet so we will put all of the links on the website and then just for reference just in case tessier is spelled t-e-s-s-i-e-r so christy thank you so much for being on the show yeah of course thank you so much for having me it's so great (laughs) it's exciting for me to talk about wine (laughs) with someone who makes wine yeah this is very cool to learn more about Christie tessier wines and other topics we've covered on this episode head over to our website brilliantbabespodcast.com where you can also listen to previous episodes check out our event calendar and get the recipes for the dishes we make for each episode today's recipe was toast two ways Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and stay tuned for episodes every other Tuesday. Take care, everyone.